This podcast is brought to you by my brand new merch store over at BelowTheCollar.com. Just go to BelowTheCollar.com slash TheButterCreamDream and choose from two brand new shirts with many more designs in the works. While comedians can't be on the road, this is a great way to show your support and look good while doing it. Once again, that's BelowTheCollar.com slash TheButterCreamDream. Thank you guys so much. Love you. And skew! Ready to get started? Fuck yeah, baby. Dun dun, dun dun, dun dun, da 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 da. So pumped. Keep going, that was good. Is that, is that your version? Dun dun, this is the new dun dun, dun dun, dun dun, da 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 da. Suck a butt. Yeah, it's my version of if I wrote the theme song. They don't ever ask me. That's amazing. I mean, and even Halen gets taken from us and, and you're still here, so. Mm-hmm. That's that's what that's what we get in this world. Mm-hmm. That's accurate. <laughs> hey, I think Trump may may be losing the election. Uh, I, I'm coming around on it next week, last week or so. I'm never gonna give up anti hope that he won't because I can't put myself there. Never just because like, hope. just because hey, I called it last time and nobody was saying, but it, it was just poll like I just don't I can't believe it like. I genuinely am starting to believe that he he like faked the coronavirus. He faked it, and like so, it's not, it's it's not past me to think that there's some sort of scheme to fake every poll to make Democrats lazy. So I'm not, I'm not giving up on anti hope. I, I agree with that. Some of y'all Democrats give Trump too too much credit with like mm-hmm. faking the thing he's he's never ever that deliberate he's never been deliberate well he's not his team is i think right, that's another he's he's always going rogue i think i think it's, it's it's a i think it's more likely it's a hoax recovery you know like, right he, he seems like he's sick you know like well that would be awesome i fucking hope he dies <laughs> like yeah. like if you go by the timeline of when herman cain got it versus when he died and when Herman Cain's camp and Herman Cain himself was like, oh, actually, he's, he's, he's on the come up, it still tracks that Trump is just having a uh, the calm before the storm. And uh, I want that. I, I, I hate being the guy. I never thought I would sit here. Like, I, I, would never, I never thought I would say, I hope a sitting president fucking dies. But I do. It was so it. What you're saying is while I'm sitting there and obsessing, and looking at all the different state results and the battleground polls and actually making my own maps online, you're mm-hmm. tracking Herman Cain's death rate and yes. where Trump is. That's that's the year of metrics you're doing right now. You are correct, sir. Well, welcome to JJ's Diner. I think we're going to keep all that because that was kind of funny. Um, <laughs> I'm Corey sorry. Ryan Forrester, it's crazy times. Donald Trump is alive and Eddie Van Halen is dead. Don't hit. <laughs> it, it, it don't hit. I'm going to go on record as saying Eddie Van Halen being dead, don't hit. And maybe I'll do a little something on um, through the screen door or something and say a little something about that because you it should. was a big deal for me. You know, I honestly. It'd be nice I'm, if you did something, Matt. Oh, my God. Matt Coon. You're not kidding. You're not kidding. You know. Matt Coon is the most tireless worker in this organization. If it wasn't for Matt Coon, the podcast would never go out. It would be ill-produced. It would fucking suck, and none of you would be listening to this. I would like to go on record as saying that right now. You know, I'm not so sure how to handle that, Corey, because working on nice. 
working on, well, I don't know, because working on some of the most, well, the most popular wrestling podcasts of all time, and also my job working with some of the most wonderful kids of all time, um, this uh, being appreciated and acknowledged is is something I'm not used to. I understand that, but from this camp, you're always going to get it. Well, I appreciate that. And we appreciate you guys as well. We're sorry the show is late today. Um, we suck, and we're trying to get our schedule together, and that's pretty much it. Look, here's the deal. I'm going to take most of the blame for that. Actually, I'm going to take all the blame for that because Matt Coon was def- definitely ready and willing. Last night, he had to postpone an hour, and I just I called an audible because it was one of those things. It was going to be 10 o'clock at night, and uh, I had – I'd had calls all day and just a bunch of mentally draining bullshit. It ain't like I'm out hauling hay. I'm not a fucking man. That's not, that's not why I was tired. I had a bunch of mentally draining bullshit and I called an audible because, and I, and I stand by this and I believe it. I would rather put out a good show a little late than a me falling asleep at my computer show on time. And genuinely, if I may say this, um, I thought I was like, I told Matt Coon, I was like, man, it won't, it's, it's fine. It's whatever. Cause I still have that like, Sometimes I have that defeatist who gives a shit about me attitude. And I had several people message me on various social medias this morning that was like, hey, man, where the fuck is my through the or not through the screen door, but JJ's diner. And that makes me feel really good. But I still and, and I explained this to them on social media and they agreed with me. I want to give you the best show possible. And if I'm about to fall asleep at my computer, that ain't going to happen. So we have changed our schedules because of that. And here we go. And we're going to call that, I think, every episode now of both shows, Corey's Rationalization of the Week with Corey Ryan Forster. Now, <laughs> let's get to JJ's Diner, episode eight of JJ's Diner, excuse me, episode eight of Parks and Rec. Corey Ryan Forster, what can you tell us about it? Uh, Matt Coon, this is season two, episode eight, the 14th episode overall. It is called Ron and Tammy. It aired on November 5th, 2009. It was written by the very funny Mike Scully and directed by Mr. Troy Miller. I don't know why I said his name like that, but it felt right. Bobby Newport. Bobby Newport. So we have... Oh, shit, dude. You just reminded me. I I know we're so pumped for Traeger and everything, but like, God, I can't wait for Bobby Newport to show up. Man, this show is so good. We all know Rudd makes everything better. He does. He's everything everything rudd has never ruined a situation every party's better for rudd being there every mm-hmm. situation is improved with paul rudd yep that is 100 percent true him and rob Lowe also share the discreet honor of being the two most ageless wonders in hollywood and both on this show paul rudd is still 22 and in clueless in my opinion the discreet honor so they keep it a secret so you're saying what did i say discreet yeah I meant distinct, but I mean, have you ever heard him talk about it? I could be right. This is rationalization number two of the fucking day. That's true. You kiss my ass, you fucking curmudgeon. (laughs) We have our cold open with old Gus retiring from the shoeshine business. And of course, old Gus gives a speech that everything is tongue in cheek. But basically he's saying, fuck all y'all. I hated this anyway. Go to hell. And Andy, of course, doesn't get it. He goes, oh, classic. I absolutely love that because it play, well it plays into that whole like uh, oh 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 everything old Gus does is great and Andy the being the lovable uh, heir to the shoeshine throne I thought it was great we all know an old Gus and um, we all it's also true that like we all have that person in our life that we call old blank or 
let's say you, uh, you know, let's say I called you Big Matt. You know, a lot of people might call you Big Matt. I don't know why they would call because of your personality. You have a big personality, right? Even even when I was skinny and I used to play basketball, I was Big Matt. That, that well, because you're name. tall as shit. Yeah. But like I've got, so I know this dude named Big Larry. Big Larry's like 450, you know, not soaking wet, dry as a bone, 450. And everybody's always called him Big Larry. And in the back of my mind, I've always thought, I bet that don't hit for him. <laughs> like, or maybe it does. But like, it was so funny to see some some old man just lay it out on the line, just like, all right, now that I'm leaving, and now that I don't have to, I don't have to keep my mouth shut for fear of losing my job as a shoe shiner. Go fuck yourself, everybody. Classic, great cold open. Very simple. You can tell now in Parks and Rec that Mark is on his way out because all oh, yeah. he has, he is given he is given lines where he just moves the main plot along that has nothing to do with yes. him. And uh, Mark informs um, Leslie um, that the most dreaded department in all of Pawnee is going to be getting is trying to go for lot. One, uh, lot 48, which is the park they've been trying to build. And it's the, it's another beginning of so many things, this hatred of the library. Oh, my God, there's nothing worse than the library. It's it's inexplicable. It's counterintuitive. It's random. And it's it's hilarious. It is hilarious. It's just another one of those cute little parks and rec moments where, I don't know, that might be a thing. Like, I, I'm sure they did their research for this. Maybe a lot of people in government do hate the library. I could see it because, like, from the outside, everyone is always going to side with the library. I mean, it's always ran by these sweet little old ladies. But at the end of the day, I mean, they're still bureaucrats. You know what I'm saying? So why not fuck them? By the way, do, let me let me say this. The public library is one of the greatest systems we have in this country. Uh, their funding should be doubled, and we should take money away from insert other piece of shit government here. Uh, Donald Trump and Jeff Bezos and all these people should pay more in taxes so that the public library could be three times as big because if people read goddamn books and they read their history, we wouldn't repeat it so much, Matt Coon. Anyways. When I was a kid, um, you know, I split time. <laughs> I know. The last words my mother said were, um, (laughs) (laughs) so when I was a kid, you know, I split time between my mom most of the time, my dad most of the time, and they had this competition of like, who is the worst parent? And they, they both won. And a lot of times they would just drop me off the library all day. So I spent the day at the library, like so many times, just occupying yourself, annoying the librarians, reading every possible book in there. Um, the library, I think, probably in the next 20 years, there'll be no more libraries. That really don't hit. The only thing that I can hope is that the system itself, like the library as a concept, maybe as a building it won't exist, but since we've all moved on to tablets and stuff like that, maybe there will be a free uh, website you can go on and, and you know get a card or whatever in order to, for kids to check out books. I really hope you know what, man, you've just inspired me. I'm going to have to start doing more for the goddamn libraries. I love how it's like, all right, I'll step to the plate. I'll save the fucking libraries. That's literally the ad, like me with two cups of coffee in the morning. This is who I am. I'm fucking Homelander from the boys. Like, all right, if I must, I'll save the day. Did you watch the finale? I just did. Dude. Yeah, I, w- I watched it at seven this morning and I woke up early. To Let's do not it. spoil it for people, but 
God but, damn. But God damn, son. And not only God damn, that show, for those of you out there it's listening. so that, good. That, it's so good. And let me explain how good it is. They do things that are so on about what's happening right now that if any other show tried to do it, I literally would just, I would turn up my nose and hate it. I'd be like, God damn, this pandering bullshit. Too like, dude, even, bullshit, even as a, right? yeah, even as a liberal who agrees with you, there's, there's so much stuff out there that I totally agree with that I don't find entertaining or funny. Cause it's like, you're not doing anything creative. You're just you're so fucking on the nose with it, but the boys is so on the nose that every time they start doing something, I'm like, Oh, they're doing, this is what they're, they're panning here, but it's so fucking good. And this last episode, dude, the way they wrapped it all up with a bow, tremendous. I know this isn't the boys podcast, but my God, we'll do one one day and y'all should check out the show. I'm in favor of them just ending the show right there. Like I love, they could. I I thought it was fantastic. They could. You had man, just, I don't want to be uh, hyperbolic, but maybe the best action scene I've ever seen oh, on a television yeah. show. It yeah. was Avengers worthy. It was as good oh, yeah. as it was oh, yeah. as good as the scene when all the Avengers or all the, the people on the planet tried to attack Thanos when it was like Star Lord and Spider Man, yeah. and it was that good. And then it was followed by a very surprising, harrowing, emotional scene. Oh yeah, just fan. The boys is, was fantastic last night. They've never missed. They've never. They've never had an episode that even close to missed for me. But but someone who'll never be one of the boys is Mark because Mark, Fred <laughs> Danowitz, he he informs Leslie. Well, we might have a little. You know, there might be some here because Tammy Swanson, Ron's ex, the introduction of Megan Mullally as Tammy Swanson, uh, runs the department, and Leslie is postured as kind of the newer person around. She's the only one who's not in the loop as to the depths of the Ron and Tammy relationship. Yeah, which kind of, I guess, because it's less friends. Like, they've clearly worked at the at the park together. But, I mean, I guess it's one of those things where that's just how private Ron is, that unless it ever got brought up for him, he wasn't going to talk about his private life. Uh, and man, this is one of the greatest castings of all time. I know that it's actually, it's a real life husband and wife team. So the chemistry's there, but Jesus Christ, man, does it get much better than Megan Mullally? It doesn't. And she's really um, compelling and attractive and really just charismatic. I, you know, it, I wasn't a big Will and Grace guy, but like Will and Grace, she really was the star of Will and Grace. She was just fantastic on that show. She was fantastic on that show, and I really loved Will and Grace. Will and Grace was a show that was so good that they were like, they were the only gays that were allowed in to come into our homes in the South. <laughs> like, like it was so good, but so over the top gay. It's not like it's not like oh well we'll just have a gay character that everybody can accept because we don't talk about that much. But she was fantastic on it, and also the character of Tammy Swanson is not much insanely different from a moral standpoint as Karen from Will and Grace, yet somehow she doesn't pigeonhole herself into like, it feels like she's playing the same character. That's how dynamic Megan Mullally is. And she just makes me laugh. Everything she does makes me laugh. Leslie is trying to see the brighter side of things, always trying to think there's a, a good side of the story. And she goes to meet with Tammy, but she's prepared. She brought her rings in case there's a fight. <laughs> um, she's ready and Meg. they do a really cool thing here, which really kind of 
sets the viewer up for not being sure what happens where she's exactly. kind of like she's tough but she's really sweet and uh leslie says something very telling she goes i know this is a trap and i don't know how and <laughs> megan mulally pulls it off perfectly yeah she does uh uh the whole I, how dare you come in here leslie you owe three dollars in uh in library funds uh, and, and then of course that's immediately taken away I, that, by the way, you know that I didn't get a diploma because of 35 cents. I did not know that 35. So the day that, uh, we were graduate, my graduation day, which like my parents, if I'm being honest, they were pretty on the fence of whether I was going to graduate anyways. And me too. Uh, so we go there and I go up and I go to get my diploma and I, and when I open it up, there's no diploma in there. There's just a pink piece of paper. And I, of course, announced that to everyone I, I held it up and like showed the crowd because i thought it was so funny that i didn't get a diploma my parents are losing their fucking mind on it it said you know overdue library fee come to the office so after graduation i had to go to the office and miss graham was there and she i said i handed her this and i was like hey uh so and she goes yeah you do library fee and i said miss graham do you really think that i ever checked a book out of the goddamn library and she goes, you're right, and just handed me my diploma. So they do hold that shit over your head is what I'm saying. What a great move that is by the schools at the end of every year to, to hold up your grades and hold up your diploma because of the library. That's I know. No, 35 right. cents, by the way. You know, um, speaking of nothing in particular and just trying to make a transition back to the show, uh, we – when I create a song, right, a lot of times I'll have a verse in my head or a chorus in my head, and I'll sit there, and I really focus a lot on how to get there. Not just mm -hmm. writing the part, and we could write a part, but how do you get there? And I imagine the writers of Parks and Recs in the room going, okay, guys, how the fuck do we get Andy in this building? How do yeah. we get Andy in this building? What do we have? And, and some guy's like, well, maybe there's a shoe shine place, you know? And Andy, <laughs> I know. Right? And they're like, okay, Why well, not? it's not the best idea, but no one, Tommy, anything better? You know, like, that's it, right? right? Yeah, like, so, hey, fuck it. It's just bizarre enough. Hey, Andy before we takes, move on to Andy, before we move on to Andy, I want to circle back real quick to the library scene for something that people may not have noticed. And I don't think that you noticed it because if you did, you'd have brought it up. Did you notice any of the books on the shelf in Tammy's, uh, in Tammy's office? Look at you, Corey. I did the not. Tell me. I wrote them down. I had to pause it twice because they kept coming back. Here's the books on Tammy's shelf. The very top shelf, which was labeled approved. These are approved books were a woman's worth sperm suicide <laughs> man duty like d-u-t-t-y i don't know if that was supposed to be man duty and they misspelled it or what i have no idea uh women war three the bill of rights busted take his balls and go home and controlling the male mind too now that was the top shelf labeled approved the second shelf, which was labeled rejected, rejected books. Number one, power in your pants. Number two, it's a man's world. Number three, God made man first. And number four, my personal favorite, the male brain, colon, it's bigger. <laughs> um, the third shelf was just a, a paper shredder next to pictures of men with their heads removed. So little Easter egg back there. Tammy had some uh, very, very pro – she's a feminist, Matt Coon. I don't know what to tell you. Apparently so. And if Leslie was as 
observant as you were, you are, then maybe we would have gotten this trouble because I agree telling and foreshadowing and it's hiding in plain sight. Um, but Andy does end up taking over the shoe shine shop and it creates kind of this awkwardness because he really is trying to get Ann back. Mark knows it and knows it. And, but Ann takes a moment and says, Hey, it's really great. Andy's got a job before all he did was send audition tapes to deal or no deal or survivor. And they cut in a clip of Andy trying out for what appears to be survivor, but is deal or no deal by ripping some fish apart. Yeah, as but he's he's gutting a fish and he's like, and this is why I'd be great on Deal or No Deal. <laughs> it was an easy dumb joke, but those are sometimes the greatest. I always wonder in these things, like, was the script written and the show shot, and they go, we need a scene, we need we need this video. If Andy does a scene where he throws a video in, of that would kind of tie it together. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, it's also it's very possible just because of the way things are shot that that was shot for a completely different episode. And it got cut, and they were like, "Ah, damn it, it got cut." But that's a great joke. Let's hang on to that because in my in my world, um, stand up comedy, there will be sometimes where you have a line in a joke, and that line just does not fucking work at all in that joke, in that particular joke. So you take it out, you cut it, you edit it, and now all of a sudden the joke works. But you keep that line in the back of your head because one day you might have a joke where that line is perfect. And it's very possible that that's what happened. And now, of course, it could just be, no, they wrote it for this episode and they put it in this episode. But it was a weird cutaway just to have. There, part of me feels like this was part of a whole Andy thing and they just saved it to pepper out through. Leslie meets with Tammy and Tammy is really nice and uh, she agrees and to give up her claim on this lot she's very gracious she says us government gals need to stick together mm-hmm. and leslie's on board so much so that she goes to ron you know and and says hey just because me and mark slept together doesn't mean we can't work together you and tammy and he's like you slept with mark she's like no no that, that didn't happen and then ron does a thing where he smells in the air first time yeah she's here the cloven hooves. He also, before that, said one of my favorite lines ever where he said, she said, I met with Tammy, and he goes, hmm, what's it like to stare into the eyes of Satan's butthole? I thought that was a great line as well. Um, you know, and Leslie kind of tries to facilitate this, you know, her view of things where everybody should get along no matter what, just like she gets along with the greatest coxman of all time, Mark Brandanowitz, and Ron and Tammy go to have coffee. Uh, Donna with her first kind of breakout episode. She only gets a couple lines, but she makes the most of it. She confronts Leslie. Um, She says that, you know, you weren't here when this happened. This is a terrible mistake. And uh, Leslie is convinced it's still the right thing to do. And then uh, Ron and Ron and Tammy go out to a tighter and they, they have what appeared to be to be a very realistic fight, like a realistic argument. It was great. That couples will have where Rod just starts yelling because he's so triggered. I think we've all been there. It was great. I think before we move on to that, I would like to say that I feel like I'm, I know this isn't what they were going for, but it worked out to me perfectly that Donna and, um, Leslie's whole spat here is actually a perfect analogy for how, like Leslie's the perfect analogy for how uh, white liberals feel. Whereas it's like, Hey, if we just do the right thing and are nice, 
everything will work out and people can really get along. And then a very strong black person is there to go, bitch, that is not how the world works, even at all. You've got your head up your ass. This is what's about to happen. So I thought that was really great. Uh, and as we know in this episode, ends up coming true. I also want to say, Matt Coon, uh, in episode two, I had pointed out uh, that I knew that they were in Burbank because I'd been on that street and I recognized the trees. The diner that they're at in uh, that that um, Ron and Tammy are at is Frank's Diner, which is right next to where they run off to the Glen Capri Motel. And how do I know? Because that is my favorite breakfast spot and that is my second favorite hotel to stay at the only time i stay there is when the safari inn is booked up but that's a lot so i stay at that hotel i eat at that diner all the time i'm not gonna lie to you that scene made me hate the coronavirus and miss traveling so much because i just long for it i have so many great memories right there and that was a tremendous scene for me to see and also to your point yeah that was a great scene, and I think that's to that right there is proof that you should hire a woman and a man if they're gonna a, 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 a man and a, his wife uh, to play a man and ex-wife if you want them to have realistic fight scenes. I bet you that they were both drawing on some very like they could both look at each other's face and go, "Okay, I can get there. Just fucking say action. Just say action. Just say fucking action." Right, right, and a lot of this is reflective of real life because. They just start making out and they lose themselves in the moment. They just, they know they're going to go have sex and they're just back where they were, especially a couple that's been together for a long time and they know each other's, how to push each other's buttons. They're off and Ron's pants are falling off going to the motel and her shirt's coming off. Our titties are out. Let let me just ask you a question because I know my answer, but have you ever had a Tammy? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Dude. I had a, I won't get too far into it, but one of my ex-girlfriends, the reason I left her is because she used to just beat the shit out of me in my sleep. <laughs> uh, so yeah, very Tammy-like, and, uh, and but but I crawled back because uh, as Ron will later say, that woman really knows her way around a penis. <laughs> That's such a great <laughs> line. I just, I just mean like, you know, someone you know you shouldn't be with, someone yeah. everything is against, you know you shouldn't, you regret it every single time. But yeah. then the eyes lock and you're just like, oh, yes. Yeah, you know, like, man. It doesn't even matter. It's just a, a guy. Buddy, I'm that way with Krispy Kreme donuts. Of course, pussy's got me that way from time to time. You know what I'm saying? Like. I can't like I can't turn down a cheeseburger with hash browns on it if it's in the right light. And it's very true that men are very helpless in this situation. And a lot yeah. of times a woman in this situation can be manipulative as well. Um for sure. They uh Ron shows up the next day, just zippity do do dying in uh with less racism uh than the original <laughs> song. Um Song and, of the South, eh? Oh, song have you have you ever have you seen Song of the South? I, dude, yeah, as a kid, I grew up like I grew up in Georgia, and like I remember the whole uh, like I'm sure that they'd had problems with it before, but I remember as a kid when like Disney was really really big on uh, taking things out of the vault, you know, like that, like they McRibbed all their movies. Oh yeah, um, oh, yeah. I remember it would be like, like a seven year rotation on everything, which is brilliant, by the way. For sure. Um, I, was, I mean, I mean, basically, here's the deal: anything Disney has ever done, regardless of whether it was bad, was brilliant. Also. Uh, but yeah, I remember like a bunch of people, like my parents talking about like this fucking bullshit. They're trying to get rid of Song of the South. They're going to take it out of rotation or something like that. 
And uh, I remember watching it as a kid and even as a kid, not understanding a lot, just being like, yeah, this kind of seems a little off. (laughs) And like, yeah, I mean, dude, we, we had the Br'er, like Br'er Rabbit books and stuff like that. You know, they were always up to something. That was a, yeah, that was a big part of the childhood. And man, I, um, I made the mistake of not that long ago getting, I was real fucking high. That was my first mistake. I was getting real fucking high. And uh, my buddy Trey uh, messaged me and he's like, Hey man, have you watched any Br'er Rabbit cartoons lately? And I was like, no, why would I? He's like, dude, just go watch one just to see how fucked up it is. And I was way too high. And son, I was in myself. Like, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't believe this shit. This is so fucked up. People, This is what people are fighting for. Oh, my God. Kids used to watch this. My parents used to watch this. No wonder they are the way they are. Jesus fucking Christ. So, yes, I know Song of the South. Zippity-doo-dah, zippity-day. My, oh, my. What a wonderful day. I used to, like, uh, you know, I saw the movie theater quite a few times because they had rotated in and out. And I remember just being a little kid just doing that voice and not knowing how racist, you know, I'd be like, "Ma, oh yeah. ma, what a what wonderful a day!" You know, what I, I didn't realize, of, right? I didn't realize the world flies. Yeah, it's it's rough, man. The social, I didn't realize the social implications of it. You know, of course not. Of course, no kid does. And so they watch this thing as a kid, and it gets ingrained in them because your brain's like a sponge, and then you grow up. And because no one ever likes to admit that something from their childhood was possibly bad because it, it was so good to you at the time. That's how systemic racism and shit continues to work is that you get all these people. You're like, Hey, look at what they're trying to take away from you. They're trying to take away your childhood. It's like, all right, can you nobody just admit maybe we made a racist movie in the thirties? It's not just, you know, movies. It's also sugared cereal, you know, like sure. you realize things aren't, Maybe the way they sh- you 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 learn you you accept things as normal that probably shouldn't be. You know what I'm saying? When you're it's tired. okay to it's okay to admit we've made mistakes. Uh, Ron shows up zippity-doo-doing, as I said, uh, wearing a red shirt and black sacks, uh, black sacks, black pants. Which uh, Tom points out when Tiger wins, he wears that. When yeah. Ron has sex, he wears that. They this predates it. the Tiger sex scandal, by the way, too. So that was really cool. Like, I think people watching that now would be like, oh, yeah, if you get some pussy, you dress up like Tiger Woods. Like, if you get some pussy in a motel, you dress up like Tiger Woods. But this was actually right before that scandal happened. So kudos, Parks and Rec, ahead of your time. Man, those Tiger stories, they were something else, man. They were uh, great. Them voicemails were awesome. Oh, uh, please, uh, if you ever cared about me, uh, and please just don't. Oh, God. Oh, God. My wife's going to find out. Oh, God. Poor. I was going to say poor Tiger, but really not, right? Poor wife. No, poor Tiger. He's allowed to get pussy. He's a champ. You know, and I mean, it, it ruined his swing, too, for a while. You know, it did. So, yeah. yeah, that and the fact that he didn't have a knee, but, you know. <laughs> Ron, we get more of Ron Swanson that we get to know in these two episodes that we're watching today or that we're talking about today. Uh, he says, I like pretty dark haired women and breakfast food. And then he has a picture of a stock, a stock picture that he hasn't framed uh, <laughs> because he said, I probably should have gotten a real picture taken. Mark is a frustrated about the anti situation. He has Tom for advice. Tom actually gave him great advice, which is to be the grown up. If you kind of my around in the dirt with Andy, she, you lose her respect. And a lot of good stuff going on here. 
Yeah, and then Tom says one of my favorite quotes of the episode and also a very good character-defining quote that starts to help us sort of peel these layers on Tom Haverford, who, as we pointed out in the first couple episodes, was kind of just a little joke bucket that, like, you just throw in when you needed a bunch of rapid-fire one-liners. But Tom says uh, he tells he tells uh, Brandanowitz or whatever to take the high road, and he said, and off camera I've never taken the high road, but I tell other people to, so there's more room for me on the low road, which I thought was great. That's a great one-line character-building quote. You know, Tom, again, has two really good back-to-back episodes, especially the next episode. Um, Leslie talks (laughs) about how she's glad that Ron and Tammy are together because it kind of proves her theory about life being, you know, something that you should be happy for and you should always accept the things that happen and try to make things better. And matter of fact, she's been to several of her ex's weddings, which I thought was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, she is gloating to Donna in a post-it that said, I told you so. And uh, then the hammer drops and Ron kind of lets it slip that Tammy's been getting his ear about that lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had to see this coming. As soon as they go to the hotel, you got to see this coming. And also, as soon as little optimistic Leslie goes up, it's Donna who just lets Donna knows the world more. You got to know this is coming. And it was sweet. And Ron says, well, we might have agreed maybe for a little trade. And she's like, Leslie said, for what? And Ron says, more sex. And more more sex. Leslie goes to confront Tammy. And Tammy now is in full Tammy. She admits it. And she says, what are you going to do about it? There's nothing you do about it. You know, the thing about this Tammy Swanson character is just her confidence, over-the-top assuredness and confidence. She has no doubts in herself ever, never. No, no, and that'll get you every time. Uh, she said, if you can either be a Cleopatra or Ella Roosevelt. <laughs> and Leslie is so offended at the idea that anyone would choose to yeah. be a Cleopatra over Eleanor Roosevelt. That was the perfect, that was the perfect analogy of a white woman on Twitter too. Like her whole freak out when she's like, used to be Cleopatra when they could be Eleanor Roosevelt. I just don't get it. It's like, girl, Jesus Christ. So Tammy says, you know, this is the kind of thing we do all the time in the library department that you should kind of join the dark side once in a while, Leslie, you would like it. Leslie goes to confront Ron and um, she says, look me in the eye and Ron really can't. And he eventually does. And he goes, I'm so screwed. No, he starts (laughs) crying. That's fucking tremendous. Like he knows, he knows like, I just can't, I can't do anything about it. We've all been there, Matt Coon. We all have. He says, she says, you are Ron freaking Swanson. He goes, not here. Help me break up. <laughs> and, I, love, I, love when, I love when they're on their way and she's like, do you want to wait out here? Do you want to go in with me? And he's like, no, I should be with you. I don't want her to think I'm a baby. <laughs> so, I like when he says, you let Mark nail you and you guys are still friends. And Leslie yeah. goes, I'm not sure that's what I said. Um, Andy, uh, goes up to Donna and he's really starting to push those limits now with Mark where he goes, who would you choose? If you were Ann, who would you choose? You know, me or Mark. And as they walk away, uh, <laughs> Donna goes, Andy. Yeah, that was one of my favorite. That was a very good, like, Hey, this is who Donna's about to be moment. Cause not only that, she looks in the camera, like just to let you know, Hey, I'm Donna Meagle. And I like fucking thick boy. <laughs> he's like, that was awesome. And also she speaks for 
America, and she speaks for the Parks yeah, and Rec. She speaks for NBC. And you she know, goes, I think we're going know, with Andy here. You know, I didn't even think about it like that, but there's a because you know the writers of the show know the deal. There's a very good chance that that is exactly what they were doing right there. I mean, because really, the show started with one cast member who was very, very important and one person who was hired for a couple episodes. And yep. now you're choosing, and Donna, <laughs> speaking for all of us, says, fuck <laughs> that guy. Yep. No, by the way, for no reason at all, other than he's just more likable. That's it, you know? Well, for sure. Well, you just changed a lot about my what's going to be my summary of this episode by pointing that out, Matt Ken. You know, not only do I have flawless and fabulous hair but i can be insightful on in some moments you really do you were the eric bischoff of parks and rec podcast you know eric and i are cool now i don't know if you know that me and eric are pretty oh that's cool. good yeah i had to talk him through using garage band the other day <laughs> on the phone. that'll humble any man eric bischoff for those of you who don't follow wrestling is one of the biggest names in the history of wrestling he used to run nitro worked under ted turner and now uh, i help I work on his podcast, but I wrestling's weird. I worked for his enemy for a while, so things were weird, but now we're friends. So that's it's what a work to work. Trust me, some, <laughs> some things shoot. are not. That's a shoot. Um, oh, yeah, oh, for sure. You know, because I worked with Russo, you know, that was not good for yeah. my relationship with Eric. But back to Parks and Rec, um, they go to confront her together, as you said. And um, they break up with her, but, you know, Tammy still tries to seduce him. Uh, and we go back to Mark and Andy talking. Mark's trying to be mature. And he goes, look, I like you. It's a weird thing. I like you, but you're pissing me off. And he's like, I like you too, but I'm in love with her. Yeah, you know? yeah and, and he's and just Mark, putting all the cards on the table. Mark has a scene like he's just... It, it it's 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 almost like a plot to get rid of Mark because he's like, is 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 punching somebody on the high road? And you're, <laughs> you're thinking Andy doesn't really do anything to. I mean, I guess if he wasn't so likable, maybe. But why would you want to punch him? You know. I mean, literally, the only way is if he was trying to pork your girlfriend. Leslie and Tammy start having it out, and. Uh, Leslie gives up because she sees Ron as beyond hope, but she does the old good Captain Kirk, bad Captain Kirk move where she tells Ron, Hey, I don't care if I win or lose. I just want you to be happy. So I'm willing to take the bullet if you're just happy. And she walks out. Now, is this a specific episode of Star Trek that you're referring to, or do you just not like cops that much that you're just going to replace them with Captain Kirk? No, well, I, I, you can go either, but I will say there was a episode <laughs> of Star Trek where there was, um, was it two Captain Kirks? It was, and one Captain Kirk was evil, one Captain Kirk was good, and they were both trying to convince Spock which one to shoot. You know, uh. Shoot him, shoot him, and the the real Captain Kirk said, hey, shoot us both, the other one's too dangerous, and that's how Spock knew. That's, uh, well, that's, I mean, that's King Solomon, right? Can Pretty I much. Say, can I say yes and pretend I understand what you're saying? Okay. So in the Bible, oh, Jesus um, Christ. I can't, exactly. Um, I can't 
<laughs> I can't remember all the circumstances, but all I know is there were two people fighting for custody over a child. And King Solomon said, they went back and forth, went back and forth, went back and forth. Oh, and split them in a half. Yeah, King Solomon said, oh, you know, you would have got it better if I'd have, if I'd have done the uh, Newman from Seinfeld. It was the, uh, yeah, I'll cut the baby in half and you can both take half. And the one woman was like, sure. And uh, the one woman was like, no, just give her to him. I'd rather the baby be safe and not with me. Uh, so that's that's similar to that. And also, how fucking dumb is that? Like, what person would be like, sure, I'll take a dead half baby. Who the fuck? Like, the Bible's so full of shit, man. Well, we've all done things, you know, to win that don't really end up with us winning. You know, that's sure. kind of what it is, where you're just so focused on defeating that rival of yours that you're willing to take a hit. But Ron takes the hit for Leslie. He says, give me five minutes. If I'm not out, you've lost me forever. And then he comes he out. Says, he says it's because I'm experiencing a pleasure no one could understand or something like that. Yeah, but she always interrupts him because she doesn't want to hear all that. You know? Yeah. A pleasure so intense. Yeah. And then she interrupts him. And um, Andy, um, I'm not sure what this, what this uh, note note is but is this your is this your uh fax me a halibut note yeah and confronts andy about um everything and you know realizes there's all these pictures on the wall of her take down these pictures give me the bikini one he goes the teeny one the teeny one one. (laughs) god i love andy so much and he is the absolute best ron does walk out I wrote scathed. You know, you never heard. You never hear the word scathed. You hear. Unscathed. You don't hear it enough. You hear, you hear unscathed. like the unscathed. only time you hear the word scathed is it's really the 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 use of it is like scathing, and it's always someone mad that oh I got a scathing review. But that's like pretty much the only time I ever hear it is in a situation where it don't matter like this. He walks out scathed, but he is redeemed as well. And the final closing happy scene of Parks and Rec is him posting an actual picture of breakfast food, his other thing, replacing dark-haired pretty women. And they go back and forth. You know, say it, Ron. Okay, fine. She's a great A-B- bitch. But even worse, <laughs> yeah. Corey, she works for the library. She works for the goddamn library. Those pieces of shit. Episode eight of Parks and Rec in the books. Corey, what was your theme for this episode? Well, girl power, man. Girl power on either side. I mean, this episode was very much like, hey, any, any, uh, as big of pieces of shit as men in government can be, so can the women. It was just from both sides. It was a battle of good and evil told from a female perspective. And mine is men are men, women are women. <laughs> there um, you go. Same thing. Same thing, like, you know, men are from Mars, women own Mars, you know? And (laughs) who was your MVP of this episode? Well, I had written down that it was Tammy Swanson just based on performance alone because, you know, this is the first time we see Megan Mullally, and and, uh, it's been often in the past that I've given the MVP to someone who comes in for a guest spot. But thematically for the show, I think – you convince me that it's got to be Donna. She sort of sets everything in motion. She sort of puts everything in perspective. She gets two big wins. I'm going to have to, and it's also really the first time we get to see her involved in uh, a storyline without just having one word. So I'm going to go with Donna. Donna, you know what? Donna Meagle and Tammy Swanson co 
co-MVPs with the game ball? I'm going to go with Ron Swanson because this okay. is the first real Ron episode. This is an episode yeah. where you learn a lot about Ron that stays on for the entire show. Everything about yeah. him hits. Everything stays consistent. You understand his character. They're fleshing out these characters like we've seen with Tom. And now Ron is a well-rounded character who now has flaws. He has um, weaknesses. He he had, he cried, you know, and he asked for help. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to argue with you there. Uh, just it was just like like I said, through talking it out, you really convinced me that man Donna had a lot to do with this episode. So yeah, I'll give it to you on that one. So if you're on Patreon.com/slash/ScreenDoor, we'll be right back. If not, you're going to hear Corey tell you about the greatest CBD company for about 14 minutes, and we'll be right back with more. JJ's Donner. I know that there is a lot of you people out there who are contrarians. I myself used to be one. Uh, like back in the day when Lord of the Rings was super popular, I'd be like, oh, well, if everybody likes it, that it must be stupid. There's no way. And then, of course, I grew up and became an adult, and I realized that in some instances... You know the old phrase, 50 million Elvis fans can't be wrong. And sometimes if something is very popular, often that means that everybody's right. And it is good. And right now I want to talk to you about CBD. All right, guys, your buddies over at yourcbdsource.com. These guys have been working in the field of cannabis formulations for over 25 years before anyone had even heard the buzz ha 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 about CBD. The folks at Your CBD Source were hard at work. They were laying the groundwork for what has become an incredible worldwide phenomenon. Their master formulator has developed groundbreaking recipes, innovations, infusions, symptom-specific terpene-based therapies, and a whole bunch of other big words put together. Let's just shoot straight, all right? This is the real deal. The owners of your CBD source created the very first fully organic, it's a great buzzword, folk, organic, fully organic CBD e-liquid on the market. Very first ones to do it. Can't take it away from them. Can't coach that, folks. Their innovative and original pet products, which I've used on my little buddy Palmer, were featured in High Times and Tales magazine. That's tremendous. i got to get a subscription. Many of the most popular products on the market today were imitations of products developed by your CBD source. Since they have been pushing the boundaries with CBD from the beginning, they also push boundaries with prices. In the past, you would have to sell your soul to get on a CBD therapy program, but not anymore. No, sir. No more, my friend. Go to yourcbdsource.com today and use coupon code DOOR30, that's D-O-O-R, and the number 30, and save 30%. That is fucking crazy. 30% on in-house products, yourcbdsource.com. Once again, that website is yourcbdsource.com, serving all of your CBD and hemp product needs with legendary formulas since 2011, yourcbdsource.com. Um, we thank them so much for sponsoring this podcast. And here's the deal, guys. Um, I'm going to be straight up. I'm going to be just straight up and honest with you. This is not that I would never, I would never, ever, 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 ever advertise a product on this show that I didn't believe in. That's just straight up. I wouldn't do it. I, period. Full stop. All them words. But 
this is the one time that I've actually reached out to the advertiser because I was already using it beforehand. And I was like, hey, can we work something out? Like, this stuff is too good. I really, really enjoy it. When I was talking earlier about, you know, something being really popular and being contrarian and not believing it, it wasn't just that. Like, to me, it was just like, all this was witchcraft to me. There's no way this stuff works. Like, oh, what, you're taking the part out of weed that don't get you fucked up, and that's the part I'm supposed to like? Get the fuck out of here. But I'm telling you guys, I'm a completely different person. I'm also I'm also a very forgetful person, so my wife often has to remind me, like, hey, um, you might want to order some CBD. And I'm like, hey, how'd you know I'm out? And she's like, because you're being a dickhead right now. <laughs> um, I'm a high-anxiety, I'm a high-functioning, high-anxiety person. Um, I suffer from depression, but it's more anxiety-driven. Uh, and I got to tell you, whenever I have my couple drops of the CBD uh, full-spectrum oil uh, from yourcbdsource.com, it helps my day, man. It's just so much better. I don't drink as much. I'm just a, a more calm, cool, and collected soldier. Um, and so I can't recommend it enough. So like I said, I reached out to them and was like, hey, what can I do over here to get people this deal? And as I said, go to yourcbdsource.com today and use coupon code DOOR30 and save 30%. That is a shit ton of money. I saved over $120 like on my monthly CBD intake because of yourcbdsource.com. So they can help you out. So go there, use Door 30. And now back to the podcast. Episode 9 of and Wreck. Um, I thought episode 8 was absolutely fantastic. Uh, we Likewise. didn't talk enough about, I think, how good it was. I think it was. Yeah, we've sort of started to just episode. take that for granted now. Now that we're now that we know we're firmly in uh, great Parks and Rec territory, it kind of just go, it it almost goes without saying. And I have a fear that like the only time we're actually going to point out the quality of the episode is if it dips, which I don't think it ever does from this point forward. But I could be wrong. Well, I'm going to disagree because. I think it dips a little bit here, and I'll tell you why. Because okay. episode eight is a great episode, which ter- gives you a lot of things that you see for the entirety of the show. Episode nine seems to be just like a funny little concept that everybody all comes together, and it's all a plot device for that one episode as opposed to creating this running series of, of instances and characterizations like we saw in the previous episode. Okay, I mean, I could, I could see that. The episode, of course, in question here is season two, episode nine, the fifteenth overall episode. It is called "The Camel." It originally aired on November twelfth, two thousand nine. It was written by Rachel Axler and directed by Millicent Shelton, which I'm convinced is where they got the name from Millicent Gergich, because I always thought, you know, that's not a name you hear too much. Uh, directed by Millicent yeah. Shelton. With a, am I wrong? That you think that's probably you true? Know, do you know what always reminds me of that is on the Golden Girls? There's a character, um, B. Arthur character's name was Dorothy Zabornak. Uh-huh. And you see the guy Kent Zabornak, who was a producer on it, and you see him on every show now. That every has time to be I see it. Kent Zabornak, I think, God damn, Dorothy. <laughs> you know? Has to be it. Has to be or, it. Or uh, Alec Berg. Alec Berg. Alec, yeah, I see. Every time I see that name, I think about that's a real. Uh, what was the What was the way he described it? Oh, it was a John. Uh, it was a John, John Houseman. That's Houseman. a real John Houseman name. Alec, Alec Berg. Berg. 
Berg. Mr. Berg. Mr. Berg. Uh, so this is called The Camel. We've got a run-in here by stand-up comedian Kirk Fox. Uh, he, it's our first appearance as Joe from the Pawnee Sewer Department, which Fantastic. becomes kind of a, a nice little runner in the show, which I really love. So it's cool to see Joe. But yeah, uh, here we go. The Camel. And we do a cold open with a mural cold open. I, I'm going to go... I want mural cold opens on every show. I want it on the boys, every single show. This particular one, it's got a very racist mural that needs to be replaced because <laughs> it keeps getting defaced. What it might, the funny thing, first of all, everything's funny, but they have these really terrible, terrible Asian stereotype cartoons. I was about to say, and I was about to say, so, someone's ahead. job was to draw those. Like someone had yeah. these, like, hey man, I got to add, here's what you need. I need like, the most like World War II era yeah. Yeah. racial stereotype Asian buck teeth Mickey yep. Rooney looking shit. I was ever. dude. I had that. I had that written down in my notes. I, it says, uh, and and how racist do we mean? It's a train running over Indians while Mickey Rooney looking Asians look on. Uh, yeah, like basically, like hey, if you were to draw for Bugs Bunny in the forties when he was over in Vietnam, what would that look like? Go do that. Um, or it's possible that they just found that and copy and pasted it just to save themselves from having to commission somebody. But yeah, it was pretty rough, bro. But like, I mean, look, it's one of those things where like, yeah, it was really racist, but it was making fun of racism. So that's fine and super funny and we can laugh at it and nobody cares. And to an extent where she says it's horrifying, we want to replace the mural with something less horrifying. And you're totally right. It works because they go, this is horrifying, but it's just yeah. terrible. And what they come up with an idea, of course, this makes perfect sense, is that each government department is going to submit a proposal for the mural. It's literally uh, like a plot that um, George Costanza would have pitched or something. Um, and uh, you see Joe from Sewage, and there's a little funny line like, why does Joe from Sewage have all the hot interns? Yeah, and and also not to not to pile on like we have in the past about like the similarities between Parks and Rec, early Parks and Rec, and The Office, but like it's kind of like the episode where uh, the everybody in the office has to help create the ad for for the Dunder Mifflin commercial. Sure. A little bit different because there's not really departments. Well, there is kind of like the you know the salesman worked on this, the warehouse worked on this, and blah blah blah. So it's you know it's. It's kind of like, uh, okay, we don't really have anything. We don't necessarily have a story here, but we'd have this one thing that will keep us pretty busy for 21 minutes, I think. But I think the attempt in this was to use these submissions to kind of show a little bit about each character. And I think it did yeah. do that. It's quite literally a team building exercise within a team building exercise. It's literally the worst way to do it. Like I've been involved in organization strategic planning before. And sounds horrible. Oh yeah. It's I had to I actually trained people in strategic planning. With with this, it's like, okay, well, here's a part. Instead of developing action steps to get there, what we're gonna do is we're gonna give six unqualified people a chance to come up with their own mural with pretty much the the park committee. You know, you've got uh, Jerry, you've got um Tom, you've got April, and you've got Anne, and they're all going to they're all going to put their own ideas forward for their own mural, hoping that the winner of this particular contest will win the big contest and they will get to replace the horrifying mural. This is sort of like how 
not to get political because I never do that, but this is sort of how Donald Trump picked his cabinet, <laughs> like in a way where it's like, hey, we should get a qualified artist to come do this. Eh, let's just get more cops. How about that? <laughs> but let's make sure we get a black doctor. Yeah, right, right, right. It's just, hey, why would we get qualified people to do it when we can get the people who are just like right here and already like me? Let's get a really rich woman to run the schools who doesn't know anything about public schools at all. Not a goddamn thing. Hey, I was thinking, Matt Coon, sure. uh, that for uh, for the, to head up like science and stuff, we should get someone who, uh, who science, uh, I don't have for him. Yeah, I think, you know, like, the scientific equivalent of Betsy DeVos would probably, I don't know, um, you know, maybe, you know, like Joel Osteen. Yeah. He would be in charge of the science, of the science I think. I think well, it literally is Rick Perry, isn't it? In the, in is that it Rick morning. Perry? Yeah. Like he's the, he, he's where's the, he been? What's he been doing? He, uh, he's, him forever. he's over the DOE now, I think. But like he doesn't make he's not like they hide him in the back like he doesn't he's not yeah yeah dude dude and also Ben Carson's dead no he's not he has to be no no I'm not doing a thing where like it was Herman Cain and I'm saying it's fucking Ben Carson because I don't know the difference between two <laughs> can, black can, people don't put can, that on can me you read my mind did you read my mind yeah I knew what you were doing I knew what you were doing what I'm saying is is that look man and I think Roy Wood Jr. has pointed this out before. So this isn't like an original thought, but it makes sense to me. Dude, they've got a black person in their cabinet and you never see him. You would think that they would parade his ass out at any moment, especially during all the Black Lives Matter fiasco and stuff like that. So I just, I think he's either dead and they're not telling us or he really is such a goddamn dipshit that can only do one thing well that they're like, no, we can't even let him speak on this. Or but maybe, yeah, the, maybe they're just Rick so Perry, racist that they don't want him out there. Right, right. <laughs> but you know, but yeah, he, man. he is a mad scientist. Like I remember when I worked for the Boys and Girls Clubs, you know, 20 years ago, we're mm -hmm. getting a very special speaker. He's the first surgeon who ever, you know, and it was this guy, he grew up in poverty and he has this great book and read the book. And I read the book. I'm like, wow, what a character, what an inspiring person. And it was Ben Carson. Like, you know, yeah, like, it's great. Yeah. Turns and out Matt he's the, he's the dumbest departments. He, no, he's the dumbest person that Cuba Gooding Jr. has ever played. And think about that for a second. Um, <laughs> he is a good surgeon though, but That's I know good. some fucking dipshit doctors. Yeah. Like, I mean, if I was stuck to my twin, I'd probably go to Ben Carson, but like, if I skinned my knee, I probably wouldn't, you know? For sure. Or if I had a question about almost any other thing. Actually, uh, it turns out I was wrong. He's uh, Rick Perry's not the uh, Secretary of Energy anymore. He, got, he, he, he had that from March 2nd, 2017 to December 1st, 2019. Uh, and now it's Dan Brulette. Uh, who is the deputy uh, secretary? Rick Perry looks like he would play kind of the good-looking, uninterested father in like an after-school special where the daughter ended up on mm -hmm. meth or something. Mm -hmm. I um, agree with that. Speaking of which, if anybody out there has seen Attorney General Barr, um, let us know because I haven't seen him in like a week, and I'm. He looks sure like if you. He looks I've, like if you fucking stretch skin over Garfield, doesn't he? Barr. Yeah, I, that's how he, every time I see him, he looks like he's about to tell me how much he loves lasagna and hates Mondays. I was going to say, I guarantee that. 
but yes, I, uh, someone, someone let us know if you've seen AG bar out there, because I think he might be, um, dead of coronavirus. Um, they're all dead. They're all dead. Matt Cohn. That's their secret. Garden party. So it turns <laughs> out Andy, of course, he's going to be good at shoe shining shoe shining. I, I went to military school for a year and did you, I learned something new about you every goddamn day. I, I, so, Okay, so I'll give you this one then. And I think you do know this. When I was in the military school, I was there for the seventh grade, eighth grade, sorry, eighth grade. Ugh. And at the end of that year, uh, towards the end, we got this letter home and they said, hey, we're going to be filming a movie and we're going to take all the cadets to this college and we're going to be filming scenes and you guys are going to be extras in this movie if you want to. Have I ever told you that? I don't think so. You definitely haven't told our listeners and that's interesting. And you know what the name of that movie was that I was an extra what? in? You cannot see me in it. But I was in the scene. Um, well, if you if we can't see you in it, they must have cut that motherfucker. Uh, well, there's probably 150 of us cadets in there wearing right. uniforms, standing there, waiting for the character Hawk to pick up his son to take across the country in arm wrestling contests. Oh, um, shit. Over the top? Over the top. God the damn, son. I just turned my hat around backwards right now. No, you can't see it, but I did. And I remember as a kid, you know, you didn't get to meet the stars, right? But of course you saw Stallone was there and you're just like, Oh shit, that's the best Stallone. Right. And then, but for me, it was like, is that fucking Terry Funk? And it was, Oh my God, I forgot Terry Funk was in that because Terry Funk as a kid appeared to be about seven feet tall. Of course. He's probably about six, four, six, three. And so Mm -hmm. Stallone's probably about five, nine, five, 10. Yeah. You're you're just like, dude, that's gotta be Terry Funk. You know, so yeah. yeah. And so in, in military school, of course, uh, you have to shine your shoes. Shining shoes isn't really a skill, but the skill Andy has is being social. So I didn't find yeah. it surprising that Andy was good at it and had good business. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it fits him. It fits him perfectly, you know, sitting there right at the front and have some, like if, if you're going to sit down and have your shoe shine for however long it takes you to get your shoe shine. I've only done it once in my life and I was very, very fucked up at the airport and was just like, eh, why not? So I don't know how long that what? takes, but there, there's no one on earth I would rather talk to for that amount of time than Andy Dwyer. Oh, fa- he's fantastic. He lets Ron cut in line in front of the guy. I don't even know if we learn his name, but he's at, not the yet. Shoe, he's at the shoe shine place all the time. He's there for the duration of the show. And Ron says, I'm impressed with Andy. You know, he's pulled himself up with his bootstraps and we get the most Ron Swanson moment. They finally hit on this character in this moment. They finally get Ron Swanson. He says, I got my first job at the age of nine at a shoe factory. In two weeks, I was running the floor. Child labor laws are terrible. Child child labor laws are ruining this country. Uh, <laughs> but that's yeah, Ron Swanson. That's Ron. That is Ron Swanson. That's perfectly Ron Swanson. I think now, obviously, you you know, the show's so great that it take you know they still fully form characters over seasons and seasons. But like, we got it now. It's ready to fucking ship out. You know what I mean? We can let this Ron Swanson leave the factory. It's good to go. Um, and yeah, I can't remember what that fucking dude's name is, but it comes a running joke that April and Andy both just fucking like oh, they kind of Jerry him. Yeah, they, they do Jerry him, you know, and it turns out Ron is a guy who walks around in pain all the time. He's got a very painful bunion. And when he gets his first shoe shine, it's brought down to a dull ache, which he's very happy about. Um, and he keeps throwing uh, the guy's briefcase. Tom hires an artist and this is, 
the first episode where we see the brilliance of Aziz Ansari. This, the brilliance of it. Um, you know, he buys the, um, he gets the art. He doesn't know what the hell it is. Um, he doesn't understand what abstract is. Anne's making her art project. It's it's just god awful. Poor Anne. She's the person who tries and can't really do anything artistic. Leslie's doing research. April's digging through trash. Uh, we start to see what inspires these characters. Yeah, and it also to me is sort of. And a couple episodes ago, we we got that Tom is a big fan of hip hop and R and B and you know fashion and now we're starting to round him out by like okay now we're introducing that he's starting to get a taste for the finer things in life uh which obviously is going to set up him and donna one of the greatest teams of all time for their treat yourself arc that they have so yeah i agree go ahead it's a deeper thing for me with tom because it's not just he likes the finer things he comes around on it like it's like he's close-minded to but he's open enough as opposed to first season Tom, who would have just been like, fuck it, and like paid someone to assassinate Leslie or whatever. He was such a, a terrible person in the first season. Um, I agree with you. Ron uh, cuts in line again. He, he says, I have a scuff. And you know, and he's getting that bunion massaged again. Uh, Andy has a great line. He goes, I have no idea. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm doing it well. I know I, I had my notes here in, in, uh, in classic dipshit white guy fails upward fashion. Andy says, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know I'm doing it really well. Also another just great one line character defining quote. I mean, if that doesn't fucking sum up Andy Dwyer, I don't know what does. Am I wrong, Matt Coon? Um, no, no, you're not wrong at all. Hey, did have you ever seen Aziz Ansari play guitar? No, I haven't. Dude, he can play. He's like really good. Really? Yeah, I I I'm addicted to this show. I see you follow him too. We haven't talked about it. It's called Ugly Delicious with David Chang. The I um, saw an episode of it and I really liked it. I saw that guy on something else. I can't remember what it was. It was one of those Netflix like um they do like a, a spotlight on a chef or something like that. And right. I saw that dude and I really man, Netflix I don't like they've they've kind of been dipping for me in like other content, but like in their food department, they've got a shit ton of Dude, really good cooking that's shows right all now. I watch me too. Do you, there's a show that's on tacos that's all on tacos. They have like seven episodes of tacos. It's in Spanish with subtitles, and I watch it. Yeah, man. Have you, hey, have you ever seen Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat? No. Do yourself a goddamn favor. Not only will, not only is it a fun, colorful, entertaining watch, Matt Coon, but it will change the way. It will very simply change the way that you feel about cooking and the way you understand food, and it will up your kitchen game uh, by a hundred and ten percent. Without you having to really do anything but sit there and watch, it's tremendous. The show Ugly Delicious is the best food show I've ever seen. David Chang is a very compelling figure of of a chef who just wants to find meaning in his life now with that's with great food, since he's achieved this crazy success because by pure accident he just opened up the first noodle bar in new york and now he's like the most famous successful chef in the world point with that was aziz Ansari is that there's episodes i've seen two episodes with aziz one he's playing guitar and he's just rocking but uh, once he's in india with david chang eating indian food and in tokyo eating uh, uh, Japanese pizza. And, um, you know, he's very compelling. 
and very good on the show. And we have some really good moments with Tom. Tom has a great line, delivery's everything, right? You always say Tom oh, yeah. is everything, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. She goes, and it's not even a funny line. And he goes, and goes, well, I tried. And Tom goes, and you failed. And it was so perfect. <laughs> is that the one where right afterwards he said, but it's okay, you're really hot. <laughs> you are art. You don't need a big art. <laughs> yeah, you, you are yeah, art. Yeah, you are art. That's hilarious. And Tom puts his poster up that makes no sense to him. It's all these shapes, triangles, and he starts coming around. To me, it's the funniest thing in the show. It was great watching him, like, go through that. Like, it was was a very well-done acting job where he's like, man, what is this? There's just a bunch of shapes over here. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. The individual shapes, when they're all put together, make up something entirely. And he has that look on his face like, oh my God, I just got art for the first time. He's like, that art made me have an emotional response. What the fuck is that? Or whatever he said. Each shape is its own thing, but when it comes together, it's something else. (laughs) That's great. Um, uh, Donna, Donna contributes a painting, which is the last supper with like, yeah, just people she knows and like random people from Indiana, like Greg Kinnear's a running joke, Michael Jackson, um, all these famous Indianans and, um, uh, Jerry makes a beautiful piece of art, which turns Tremendous. out to be one of those pieces of art where it's like each pixel is a picture of a person, but he just calls it a urinal. Accidentally, he misspeaks <laughs> and that's it for Jerry, right? It's over. It doesn't matter. You, it doesn't matter. You literally could be Christ on the cross, but you said something shitty. So we're going to dump on your face. And yeah, Jerry literally, he's just a tremendous artist. They shit all over him. It it was a great, it was a great fucking Jerry moment. That's another thing, by the way, that we, we, this is the start of learning that Jerry is low key, a Renaissance man. I mean, Jerry is a tremendous art because we, we see later not only can he do this type of like a uh, really weird concept art he's also a tremendous painter he can play the piano he's fucking christy brinkley <laughs> like he's got a huge dick jerry's the man but like sometimes he stutters <laughs> right and you know the funny <laughs> thing is is they're not even saying funny things like, did you say Muriel? And April's like, why don't you go take a pee on your Muriel? And then Leslie just for no reason yells, disqualified. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's tremendous. April has, um, oh, no, wait. So Jerry, Jerry just plays so perfectly. I wrote this down. He, he walks away with his painting after the Muriel thing. He's like, I just wanted to show you my art. <laughs> like i know it's so perfect the way that they they set jerry up is like such a sad sap but like again has the best life of all of them but he plays it so well man and it is this beyond what you said it's this thing like we just find out more and more is that there is so much under the surface with jerry yeah it's it's a lot like some jobs are and some situations are where people never see you in one context they always see you in the other Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not until somebody dies that everybody's like, Oh my God, this, I can't believe this person did this, 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 and this. And Jerry is just, we, we know so much about everybody else's life. Everybody wears their emotions on their sleeves and they all go hang out at the bar and they're having relationships and Jerry just wants in so bad and they will not let him in. And arguably Jerry has the most talent is the most interesting has the biggest, you know, dick, uh, it's really, it, and that's just how it goes, man. Like, like they don't realize that, like, like he, they treat him like Milton from fucking Office Space. Right. But like at the end of the day, 
he he's more interesting than the main dudes. He's a baller. You know, it's he's a huge baller. I if you heard the show on Patreon last week, and usually through the screen doors like twice as long, I talked about how people in my real life are listening to the show now. You know, parents of kids that I teach with and parents that I like. And, you know, I'm a different person at work. I'm a sure. different person. Um, the kids see the real me, I think, a lot of it. But the parents, I have to be a certain way because, you know, just it's it's hard running a business and people generally are, suck. But it, it, these people are, they're great people and I really like them and their parents. But they literally said, uh, one of them said to me, uh, there's a whole group of these people, by the way, talking about the podcast at a kid's birthday party with me and one, one of them goes uh she says there's a whole different matt we don't know about yeah you know? baby and, and that's the real me but that's the jerry thing too sure that makes me very happy uh because i've never like i i haven't ever no one's ever been surprised when they met me <laughs> you know what i mean like like i mean i have one of those jobs and i'm one of those personalities where like i've never re i've been doing stand-up since i was 16 and only ever had odd jobs to support that. So I was never in a like, uh, oh, man, I better not do this, or, you know, to piss off the company or whatever the fuck. So I've always been mean. I've never had a reason. And I always forget that other people have to be like that. So that makes me very happy to know that that people are finally seeing you for the uh, fucking piece of shit that you are. Uh, well, you know, the kids know me as someone who's demonstrative and outgoing and energetic and high right. energy. and But the parents, it's more like, I have to be a little bit different and it's business. I get it. It, it is business, but it's also a business where people have somewhat treated you badly after a while. So you just kind of, you're not really, you know, uh, jubilant. You know what I'm saying? I'm not jubilant. <laughs> I'm not, yeah. when I talk to parents, I'm just like, uh, you know, and it's matter of fact matter. That's exactly right. I'm much more understated. And Jerry again is someone who shows that whole different side and, you know, Maybe the greatest, one of the greatest character points in the history of sitcoms is when later on he's married to Christy Brinkley. He's got these beautiful oh. daughters. They all sing in harmony together. He's got a beautiful Amazing. house. Everyone loves him. And it explains why sometimes he can just let that shit roll off his shoulders because he knows in real life I'm a baller. Yeah, man. I mean, and, and look, this will get brought back up again when we finally watch that episode, whatever episode that it is. But one of my favorite Jerry moments it's when they all have to have a physical for something and Jerry walks out and the doctor goes, that man has the biggest penis I have ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you know what, Jerry, Jerry's got a huge wang. He's got a beautiful family. Uh, he's fucking Christy Brinkley. Why would he care? There's a term that um, we've heard and uh, our friends use it. It's called a hog watcher. Are you a hog, hog watcher? watcher? Yeah. Oh yeah. Really? Oh yeah. So I mean, look, I'm not going to next creep. to each other in the, in the, in the murals. No, no, I'm not doing that. You're not peeking. So you're no, not, really I'm not a, a pod watcher. When, okay. Okay. I'm not like a, okay. All right. Yeah. I guess we, I, I need to clear that up. I'm not a public perv hog watcher. What I'm saying is like, if I'm watching TV or I'm like scrolling through Twitter and I see like a picture of like TMZ had of like, 
uh, John Hamm walking down the street, my eyes are going to go to, I wonder if he's got a bulge. Let me see how big that dick is. But like, no, in real life, fuck no. But also like, I mean, if I saw John Hamm in real life, maybe, <laughs> you know, like that's different. Why would like, you even look? You just know, you know what I'm saying? You just know. No, dude, that's, I, I say that that's a very specific example because I saw this picture one time that they, they had put up of John Hamm. I'll never forget it. He was wearing a blue polo, uh, camo, cargo shorts which no one on earth else could pull off and he was wearing a boston red Sox hat kind of pulled down military style over his head and the picture was taken from across the road and he had the biggest even in, in loose cargo shorts you could see the outline of one of the biggest dicks i've ever seen in my life and he was looking at the camera with this type of grin that was just like i know exactly what everyone's going to be looking at when they when they pull this shit up tomorrow I've and it was that, great i've seen that picture i remember that picture yeah now i don't think i could be gay for any man but like yeah if i was gonna hang out with a guy if i had like what you call a man crush like for me it would be like chris martin of coldplay i'd like yeah. to sit around and maybe have a glass of wine and play guitar and jam with him and say wow what a nice guy but i think you might be gay for john ham well my thing is that i don't I, I how can i say this uh well i'll just say the truth I'm not gay, but I do want to see what most people's dicks look like <laughs> when, when there's somebody like John Hamm, which specific, okay, like, let, let me say it like this. I do not, I have no interest in seeing Steve Buscemi's dick. Okay. That makes sense. He's not attracted. My point is I'm I guarantee Steve Buscemi's dick looks a lot like Steve Buscemi. You know what I'm saying? Like it's literally yeah, long, yeah. but it's probably pretty long. Um, but my thing is I always, when it's I see, be. when you see a guy like John Hamm, you you're like all right i gotta know where god stopped you know what i mean i need to know if god has any decency and so you see when you see him with a big dick you're just like all right i guess god just sometimes smiles on someone fully so that's why like you know i, I do i i mainly like i don't i don't want to know what jerry gergich's dick looks i guess it isn't attractive i don't okay i don't really care i don't really care to see rob lowe's dick so much but i would I've, really I've seen rob lowe's dick <laughs> oh yeah you can that's true you can that maybe that's why because i've already seen rob lowe's hey dick. remember when that kind of thing would ruin somebody and now it's yeah. like yeah that would do you remember what do you, do you know that story do you know the story yeah, of the, the sex tape with his buddy and when his buddy like you can hear his buddy in the back going yeah fucker rob yeah fucker rob yeah it was at the democratic national convention was that it it yeah 1988 i think yeah um but in any case, because that was back when, you know, like if something like that happened, it was like, whoa, now it's just like President Raw Dog the porn star. Um, no, I was I was thinking about that the other day because I started watching this show um, called A Very British Scandal and it's or A Very English Scandal. And it's it's uh, Hugh. Um, oh, my. Why's why's my brain going wrong? Hugh, Hugh, Hugh Grant. Hugh, Hugh Grant. OK, Hugh Grant. It was Hugh Grant. And he's starting to have sort of a comeback in like a lot of more movies. But like there was a time where like he he was huge in the 90s and then all of a sudden he wasn't. And I was like, oh, yeah, it was because he got caught with a prostitute. And it's like it's so insane that that dampened his uh, his uh, reputation. Whereas like now, dude, who get like all you'd have to do is say, yeah, like if you get caught with a prostitute now, you just go, yeah. And you know what? Sex workers should be compensated and it shouldn't be illegal. And you're fucking fascist. Mother and by the way, that's correct. That's how I feel. But like back then, like, holy shit, what a big deal just to get caught with a prostitute. And now that's a fucking Tuesday. Who gives a shit? Literally a story broke during the quarantine of the most powerful Republican congressman, 
being in a black book, being gay, and yeah. going to prostitutes all the time. Yeah. And no no one really cares. And that's fine. Good for Lindsey Graham. Go get some, son. Yeah, for sure. That definitely shouldn't be the thing that he gets uh, – in trouble over like i don't get i don't i don't care about it that it's a little bit like it but it is a little bit like strom thorman's strom thorman's daughter you know what i'm saying like you're just like yeah well there it is you know like right 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 100 100 the hypocrisy's there um, the hypocrisy the worst thing yeah you know the hugh grant thing you're not young enough to remember you don't remember when that happened right i don't remember when it, uh i mean i was alive because it was being talked about on leno but I'm pretty sure, unless I'm unless I'm way wrong, it seems like I remember uh, Leno making jokes about it, and like my parents kind of laughing at it, and, and all literally all I knew so though. Here, here's what you remember: is Hugh Grant made a legendary appearance on Jay Leno to try to reclaim his character. Yeah, very shortly after it happened, and Jenna's like, "So uh, my question is, um." What the hell's wrong with you? Like, you know. Yeah, so you got to pay for sex, even but, though you're one of the most powerful men in the world. Like, what's going on here? Might not know is that, God, I think her name was Desiree something, um, the prostitute. But he was Stella Marie Thompson. He was married or engaged to, like, the most beautiful woman ever, you know. And, yeah. Um, what, Lauren Kelly? Is that her name? Lauren? I don't remember. She was, um, she was, dude, she was in, um. Austin Powers. She was the oh oh Elizabeth. Uh, fuck me, Elizabeth Hurley. Yeah, yeah. She God, was a dumb she's and dumber. so fine. Yeah. Oh my that's, lord. That's who he cheated on. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So fuck him. That's the story. <laughs> no, no, no. I, you're right, 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 right. I hear you. Uh, but I, what I'm saying is like that happened in '95. I was eight years old, but I all I remember was that the picture that was painted for me was Hugh Grant, bad man. And like, yeah, dude, if he cheated on Elizabeth Hurley, that don't hit and that sucks. But like, again, what he did now is like, it would, it would be so buried. I'm not, it would get play. Like it would, it would make the news and it would break up his marriage. And there would definitely be some people that were like, I'm not going to be a fucking Hugh Grant fan anymore. But like, it would be so buried two hours later by something coming out of the white house that it, who gives a shit? Yeah. Um, what's coming out of the white house now is amazing. I, I can't wait to see him do his appearance on Saturday. I'm looking forward to it personally. Let's give me happens. fucking great. Um, hopefully, Hey, you know who else I haven't seen in a while is our Supreme court nominee. I wonder where she's at. I wonder if she's okay. Fucking quarantining bro. Right, Cause she's sick. She's got it too. God damn it. They she's all have sick. it. They um, all have it. They just ain't saying it. Uh, so April presents. Oh, I've had the same note here for twenty minutes now. That's April okay. presents a terrible multimedia project. Just can I say I'm very sorry about this. Uh, when I saw Aubrey Plaza in an interview on a talk show, Conan, because Conan always flirts. Oh, yeah. I'm just like, this is the most intriguing, compelling, funny, attractive, beautiful person I've ever seen in my life. April's my least favorite character. I got to say it. I think for the really? show, yes, because she's just, she has less redeeming qualities. She, they don't show all these great redeeming qualities in her that they show in the other people. We get that side of Tom. We never really, really get that side of April. We get it in dribs and drabs, but I mean, in reality, like poor Andy in a lot of ways to me down the road. Man, I just totally disagree. And this might be an age thing. Cause I don't know, man, like the, the perpetual teenage angst and the, 
I, first off, I disagree. Late, I mean, it, especially if we're talking later in the show, we start finding out that uh, that you know she really does care about Leslie, and like even when she's trying to put on this facade of not giving a shit, she's really doing a good job to impress Leslie. And also the way that she takes care of Champion, which ends up you know spawning a career where she takes care of animals and stuff like that. So I disagree that it's going to be fully irredeemable. But also you got to understand at this point in Parks and Rec she's still playing a 19 or 20 year old because like four or five episodes ago, she was getting in trouble for underage drinking. So like there's not much redeemable for a 19 or 20 year old girl when they're interacting with adults. Like they're always going to be those little fucking shit bags. So like I personally think in my opinion, they're playing it pretty well. I guess I'm saying her character ends up being palatable, but for me, when you compare them to all these other characters that are so likable, you know, now they don't, and again, her. I'm not going to sit here and argue with you and say April shouldn't be your least favorite character because in a show that has so many great ones, someone can be your least favorite character and it still doesn't mean you think they're a bad character. You know what I'm saying? Because like once Mark is out of the picture, it's like there's no such thing as a bad character. So one of them has to be your least favorite. But man, I don't know, dude. April and this could dude, and I ain't gonna lie, I often, I'll admit it. I often let my wiener do the walking. You know what I'm saying? And she's real hot. <laughs> so it's hard for me. Like, she's real hot. I, I like that type of just, like, fuck everything, nihilist shit. Like, it's cool to me. I'm a I'm an Ann guy. You know, I just think Ann. No, Ann's my least favorite character. She don't hit. Oh, are you serious? She don't hit. I oh, mean, look, I love, I love her as an actress. She's And, like, I'm not saying she's not great, but, like, what – all she is is redeeming quality. She doesn't have anything bad. That's right. Her whole bad thing is perfect. No, li- literally her life. And she's Quincy thing. Jones daughter. Like she probably gets you the masters, the, the thriller, like I know all kinds of good shit. There. Her biggest, like per Leslie, her biggest character flaw is when you're in a relationship, you're too good of a girlfriend. <laughs> like, like that's like the classic, uh, what's my, what's my weakness? Well, I work too hard. I care too much. Like that's her. Fuck her. I like, again, I like Anne, but like, bro, April's way better of a character than Anne. Come on. To be continued. This is going to be the debate that goes on. Anne versus yeah, April. Will. Um, Le- Leslie uh, pre- presents hers. And we find out, of course, about the bread factory. Uh, Pawnee once had a bread factory. Again, yep. more to the size of the city. And it turns out everybody voted for their own when it comes down to deciding which one wins. Tom's yeah, delivery is great. Tom's like one to one to one to one. Yep. I thought that was a now, pretty, pretty I was great thing. thing with the kids when they vote when they have ownership of something, I'll say, okay, vote for somebody besides yourself. Who is it? Right. You know, and, right. You know, let's just count you as a vote. Leslie doesn't get to that point. They're just stuck now because they're tied. She doesn't know what to do. Um, Ron's back to get some more love on his shoe, on his foot, on his bunion. And he moans, not for like a second, but long. And Andy gets the <laughs> funniest face. He's frozen in time. He is frozen. Andy gave him the same face that I made when I saw it. I was like, did Ron just come? <laughs> like, did he just because fucking- then after it's this, it's Andy's a statue. It cuts to Andy. And he goes, what the fuck was that? <laughs> <laughs> no, he says, what the fuck, man? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think. All agreeable. Presented, Andy finally breaks. It was presented as if Tom, as if Ron did 
in fact ejaculate. Yeah, I think so too. Like that's that's the Ron Swanson that the only way you could make him come is either wild sex in a hotel with a, a demon or really giving him a good shoe polish on his bunion. In a fever dream of Corey Ryan Forster and Matt Coons, Anne and April get into the kind of one of their first little disagreements. You know, yeah. it's, it reminds me of that Seinfeld uh, episode where like, you know, when Elaine says, why do you guys like cat fight so much? Why do they say cat fight? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And Jerry's like, well, we kind of think if they're fighting, there's a chance that maybe they could kiss, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then Kramer comes in. He's like, oh, yeah, cat fight. And yeah, then, that's so true. Uh, he, Tom makes a case for his poster with the shapes, and he has the funniest light of the whole show. <laughs> it kills me. He said, do you, do, are you aware of the line I'm going to say that Tom says about the shapes? I don't know that I am. I don't, I don't have it in my notes. Okay, so – he puts it up and someone goes, a kid could do that. He goes, no kid could do that. Only God could do that. (laughs) (laughs) That's fucking hilarious. Um, You know, so Leslie decides to do what almost split the baby, the opposite of splitting the baby, which is combining everything into one poster. Uh, You know, let's take an element of this element of that in concept. It's great. But you know, in in collaborating, you and I have collaborated. You're probably the person I've collaborated the most with my life with. You know, it's never that way. It's oh, for sure. I'm I'm terrible at collaborating because you know why? Yeah, I always have the best idea. That's why. True. I hear you. No, me too. I understand. Everybody else who has ideas, what the hell's wrong? But no, I understand. I think the way it usually works effectively is someone's got the idea and takes the lead or someone just takes the lead and the other person helps them carve their idea. It's always yeah. got to be a leadership type thing. Like with you and I, a lot of times I'll just throw a concept and you're like, Oh, that sounds like a good idea. And the next thing I know you've got like a fully fleshed, fully done idea. And maybe I'll say this tiny detail. And you're like, that's a good idea or a bad idea. Um, right. But if we were to sit there and patchwork something one at a time, it might not work as well, especially with six people. No, I agree. And I mean, when we, uh, as a group, like obviously my, my whole comedy career, especially in the past five years, has been a pretty big collaboration with, uh, you know, Trey and Drew and, and various showrunners, Bobby and Andrew and yada, yada, yada. But usually how it works is when we write a script, it's not like, okay, let we're all sitting here word by word together going, okay, what would they do here? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, uh, okay, they're in this script. There's eight scenes. There's three of us. Uh, let's break them up. And uh, we basically we, we've all outlined it. We know what has to happen in these scenes. Let's write them to let's write them separate, come back, put them together. And then we'll all like one person, the showrunner will go through and make sure that all the dots connect. But yeah, I can't, there's no way that like me or Trey would never collaborate on one scene. That would not make sense. Um, the Beatles, the and, Beatles didn't do that, you know, like they would yeah. do it, you know, and, and I, we're the Beatles. I, that's I mean, for sure. And I mean, me and you, I mean, without the yeah. useless George and Ringo, you know, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm friends, you know, I'm, I'll just drop some stuff. I'm friends with some guys in a band called Bella Fleck and the Flecktones. And in that group, there's four people who have revolutionized their instrument, all four of them. And, mm-hmm. you know, Bela, of course, is the leader. He's the, he has the most Grammy awards and the most categories of anybody right. in the world. It's his band, but the rule is it's a band of equals, right? And if you, 
if you present an idea, if you present a song, no matter what happens with the song, it's your song and you have the decision-making ability in that song. And Bela might have a little more weight, but it's your song. And actually you keep the songwriting credit no matter who contributes to it, which I think is kind of a cool system. I agree. Yes. You know, if you heard, you've heard the story about when, uh, uh, John, uh, John Cowan became the lead singer of, uh, of Newgrass Revival. Um, I don't know the story, but my father is good friend, very good friends with all of those guys. So. Right, right, right. So, um, I can't, uh, I, damn it. I can't remember the song. Uh, it's fuck me. Uh, it doesn't matter. Anyways, John Cowan shows up literally just to be, they needed a bass player. That's it. That's it. John Cowan shows up. Uh, and they, and, and so he plays bass and I'm like, oh, that's good. And they're like, do you sing? And he's like, well, yeah, I sing. And they're like, all right, well, you know, sing us one. And he sings and, uh, and, and uh, Sam Bush is saying this. Sam Bush walked up to John Cowan and he said, well, I was the lead singer, <laughs> you know, right. not anymore. And it was, uh, that was a very democratic process. Like, Hey, what's better for the band? It's if you do it. Growing up around my house, we re- we referred to Sam as, um, your uncle Sam, um, or brother Sam, because of course my father and Sam, uh, grew up to kind of came up together in the bluegrass scene in Kentucky and then became close ever since. And I introduced myself to Sam Bush, I want to say 10 years ago. Did I ever tell you about the time that I introduced who I was to him? Did I ever tell you that? You did, but tell our audience. You so told I, me I, right after I opened up for Sam Bush. So this is the uh, six degrees of separation here. So I go, uh, hey, my name's Matt Kuhn. He goes, oh, nice to meet you. I go, no, I'm Matthew Kuhn. I'm William Kuhn's son. And he literally double takes. He goes, oh, my God, Matthew. You got huge. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> He's like, what happened to you? You know, and then, <laughs> are you eating rice for breakfast? But he went even as far to say, man, I heard your teenage years are really tough. It looks like you made it out and all that. And he said, I, he heard my mom died and all that stuff. Of course, you know, my mother's last words, but he said, uh, <laughs> you know, it, but, but Sam Bush is someone I've known my entire life and uh, uh, six degrees of separation, right? Life. I, I would say all of us are attached by, I mean, dude, I knew Sam Bush when I was a kid and you opened up for him. That's two degrees of separation. That's insane. That's crazy. And we're both, that is that. we're both reviled by Conrad Thompson. That's one. <laughs> I know, I know. And revolted. Has, has it hurt your feelings that you have been defined down and ostracized and demonized because of your association with me, uh, with Conrad? I expected, I, I expected it going in. Um, and no, I think it's fine. I wear it like a badge of honor. I do as well. Um, so <laughs> Tom said only God could do that. Uh, Leslie does combines the ideas. Mark comes in. So you need Mark to move this plot along a little bit. And he goes, it's a camel. He goes, what's a camel? Camel's a horse made by a committee. Like Mark's got the fucking answers to everything. And not only that, Mark's pretty convinced if Leslie convinces him, um, you know, that I'll draw something that'll win. This will win, blah, 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 you know? And he draws this fucking maudlin, lame man on a park uh, feeding pigeons, man on a bench in a park feeding pigeons. And uh, everybody's like, yeah, it's like Muzak, you know, like no one hates it, yeah. no one likes it. Ron walks by and goes, I like it, you know? So Leslie <laughs> says it's the one, but everybody's upset their idea's not in. Well, Mark's, uh, Mark says, uh, he goes, look, this is... Uh, 
he, it will Joe comes in and he has the flag or whatever. And he's like, no, nah, look, you're, you'd think that the patriotic thing would win, but it's still taking a stand. And at the end of the day, people have a problem with somebody taking a stand. But what I've got here, it's like the art in a hotel room. You just kind of look at it and no, maybe you don't like it that much, but you're definitely not going to take it down. And to me, I was like, this is once again, the writers being making Mark say what he is. Right. And you know, <laughs> that's really good. He is that. And I was, thinking just now before you brought up that excellent point coin Ryan Forrester is mm-hmm. um, Mark is just too subtle. The character's too subtle. His physical appearance. Much is like hotel subtle. art. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's not like attractive, but he's not unattractive, but he's not stand out. He just, he's just too subtle. And I think it, like I said, music is that way. If you get, if you hear music at a grocery store, it's all music that nobody loves and nobody hates, you know? Yeah. He's the music version of uh, Jim Halpert. It's like, it's like, it's like the dollar general, uh, like there were Jim Halpert toys and dollar general was like, okay, we got to make one that's close enough to where people will buy it, but not close enough to where we'll get sued. Let's do this. And I can just, uh, I can just see the direction being like, could you put your hands in your pockets more? You know, yep. like, could you, could, yeah. Could you smirk that way? And Jim, Jim is very much like that, right? Jim is that guy, but there is something to not to diss Mark Brandano. What's the actor, but there's something to that actor who plays Jim Halbert where there's layers and layers and layers that he made that character work with Mark. Maybe he didn't get a shot or maybe it was just miscast. Maybe I don't think he wanted to. Yeah. I genuinely don't think he wanted to. I think that guy probably is a good actor and he thought this was beneath him, but John Krasinski absolutely ruled as Jim. He took a character that otherwise would have been super boring. And like, if you think about it, it's like, what was, what's one of Jim's best lines? I can't, couldn't tell you. I can sit here. And rattle off Dwight lines until the you know until the cows come home, but he just he played Jim very well. Um, and if if John Krasinski had never been cast as Jim Halpert and instead had been cast as Mark Brandanowitz, I guarantee you Mark Brandanowitz would still be there. Mark Brandanowitz and Leslie would be married. Yep, absolutely. And you know maybe Mark the actor who plays Mark his name escapes me. And I'm not going to look it up. You yeah, know, maybe he, maybe he, he's one of these, cause you've met so many actors, right? That, yeah. you go, oh my God. Like the first time you find out Idris Elba's British or whatever. Oh, it's you awesome. Met, your your you dick Mark gets Brandon even harder. Any, what's that? Your dick, my dick got even harder for Idris Elba when I found out he was British. When, when uh, I saw him play pool on ESPN, I was like, what uh, in the fuck? That sounds so, you know, he's a DJ. Of course he is. Yeah. Like he, like he put, he just put out an album. <laughs> Just dropped, dropped some brand new Stringer Bell tracks yeah. on you. Mm-hmm. Um, with um, I forgot what the point I was going to make. So I'll just. I'm so sorry. That's my. Oh, when you said when you meet actors, like when you find oh, you out meet that actors and they're different. Like I imagine maybe Mark. If you met Mark Bradanowitz, you'd have to meet him to know if he was a good actor or not. Because if he's not, yeah. If he's not fucking a hundred percent aloof like he is in this right. goddamn character, you'd be like, he's an amazing actor. You know? For sure. For sure. For sure. It, it, most of the time, though, when you meet actors who play likable characters, you're just like, wow, they're not really that likable in real life. For sure, man. <laughs> um, so Leslie uh, is presenting this camel of a mural, which is a bunch of pieces that don't go together. But she's saying, or I'm sorry, she's going to, I'm sorry, she's going to present Mark's painting, which is this, you know, inoffensive Mark Brandanowitz like painting. And mm-hmm. we get to see 
some other murals. The, the sewage mural is fantastic. Uh, the sewage department presents a mural. It's patriotic in nature, like you said before, but he's holding a sewage pipe over his shoulder like a gun, this character on the on the on the painting i loved the american flag sewage painting yeah it was very especially joe the sewer guy standing next to it nothing has ever looked more exactly what it should than fucking that i would like that mural of joe holding up the american flag mural the ron and andy awkwardness off of ron's um evident or implied orgasm during a shoe shine (laughs) um (laughs) I think they did a really good job here of not getting bogged down in homophobia. I agree. It literally, the same scene could have been happened, of course, tweaked a little bit by, you know, the masculinity of the characters. The same thing could have happened with a man and a woman. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. There's a woman getting a shoe shine. I thought they handled it perfectly. I did too because it was very real and it just it reminded me so much of like, this this has kind of happened in a similar way to like, uh, okay, I remember on several occasions, like we were all in the den or something like that as a family watching TV, and maybe my mom was sitting on the couch and my dad was on the other side, and then I went to sit down on the couch beside my mom and like just put my arm up on the couch right at the same time Dad did, and our fingers touched. Me and Dad literally wouldn't talk for three days. Like, <laughs> like I would leave the room, go do something else, and we would both get the heebie-jeebies, and like. We, neither one of us are well i mean i can't speak for my father but i will not a homophobic man i'm definitely not i'll suck idris elba's dick i'll go on record as saying it but like it was just one of those like yeah but not with you, <laughs> you know? and it's just it just it was just a great way to describe that male every man's uncomfortableness with the opposite sex does not always have to be homophobia sometimes it's just like that's not what i'm into and this was awkward and this kind of changes things you know let me just say this. I've never thought about this. I've never said this, but now I'm for sure about this. Ron Swanson was very comfortable with April's friends, which you wouldn't think with his conservative nature. Well, he's, he's libertarian. He's a saxophone player. He has a, he has very freely sexually there. I believe Ron Swanson has taken a walk over into the gay lane in this life. You think so? I mean, he's, he's a libertarian guy, which means that, you know, it's like, Hey, totally just leave has. me alone. He's a he's a pragmatist, right? He's like, well, let me yeah. try this and see if I like it. It's see. How would I know? Would but at I the know? same time, he won't try vegetables, so I don't know. There's probably a funny joke in there for someone funnier than me, but um, I know I had it, but I, I just wasn't gonna. Say. <laughs> vegetables. I mean, there's you know. corn on the cob. There's you know you could have gone there. Plant. You know. Um, Bob and for Boiners. I don't know. So it's there's there's a joke that's been done a million times and it's never well. Okay, it's never done well. Okay, so the joke goes like this: It goes like, "Let's never let's let's never talk about this again." And the other person goes, "Talk about what?" And the other person yeah, yeah, yeah. doesn't yeah. realize it. He's like, "Blah blah blah." In this case, it totally works because he goes, "Ron, uh, Ron said." Or Andy says, "Let's never talk about this again." Uh, and Ron's like, "Talk about what?" And he's like. You know that weird moan that that weird moan the other day when you moaned when I was shining your shoes. <laughs> yeah, I, I had that in my notes. Uh, much like when we were t- talking about the boys earlier, when I said like, "There's other shows that do stuff that's very very on the nose, but it never hits for me." Whereas when the boys do it, it does because it's so well done. I had this in my notes that like this is an example of a joke that you see coming a mile away. They do it pretty much with no uh, no different than anyone has ever done it, but because 
Andy Dwyer is so good. And it's, and it's a, if, when it's done as just a joke, but it has nothing to do with the character, it, it's a bad joke, but that actually is what Andy would have done in that situation. So it's almost meta a little bit. So I thought it was great. Um, and it just shows you how good Chris Pratt is and how good this show is. This right. show makes he, me so happy. He, he sells it so good. Uh, you see the fire department mural. They present it. They're very proud of it. It's like a dogs on poker poster, but everything's on fire, which yeah. I thought was really good. And Mark, of course, they're still trying with Mark. He's seeing that Leslie's a little down in the dumps. And she goes, you want to do the camel, don't you? And he goes, yeah. She says, yes, I do. So Leslie decides that her making her team feel included is more important than winning, which is not the boy that doesn't that sound like a liberal in charge for you. But that's not the Leslie Nope we saw in the first season though. No, it's not. No, it's not. The Leslie Nope that we saw in the first season would have won. God damn it. Yeah. And she would have felt bad about it later, but she would have been proud about it and, and taken a positive lesson from it. And now we see this show has really changed a lot. Yep. For sure. For the better. Absolutely for the better. Um, of course, she says we didn't win. They decided to restore the old one anyway. Um, and um, uh, Tom uh, Tom keeps trying. He's trying to hire. Uh, and the closing scene of the show, of course, is Tom keeps trying to uh, hire the same art student to make something else. He doesn't know what he likes. He doesn't know what it is about art he likes, but he knows that the one he just drew was racist. It was just a circle. <laughs> and he says, I've stared at this thing for five hours. I'm tearing up, man. And, so uh, you know, just that was just such a weird thing. It's And as I work with you, I start to see these things where you're like, well, there's probably a writer once who yeah. had this experience as you get more into the creative field, you realize that most writing, most creativity is anecdotal and reflective as opposed to inventive. And so I'm sure that that's something that happened to somebody. Oh yeah, man. Like, I mean, I can't tell you countless, countless times when we are, when we get put together with like a new showrunner, like we get a development deal with somebody that wants us to make a show. Like they usually their first questions are like, what from your real life can we work with? Cause that's just how, that's just where the best shit comes from. Um, there is something to be said about that whole, you know, I think people overuse the phrase, Oh, you can't write that because you know, and as the obvious, the obvious go-tos are like, okay, well, Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings and star Wars right. and blah, blah, blah. But all of those ideas probably did come from a nugget that was a real life chunk uh, and this show is no different. And I think that their best stuff probably definitely comes from somebody in the writer's room doing you know, that. Hell, it may have just been Aziz, honestly. Re respectively, you know, the greatest example of that is Seinfeld. Um, the collaboration between Jerry, who is kind of a, um, you know, a good comic, but definitely a kind of vanilla comic. And yeah. then Larry David, who's someone who uses his real life experiences. Matthew and I had a conversation the other day about it as we're watching comedians and cars getting coffee. Great you know, show. I don't think either one of them would have had a fraction of the success without the other. I think they nope. really needed each other. Oh, absolutely. They were, they were like, you don't want to say yin and yang. Cause I think, I mean, that obviously means opposite, I guess, but. Oh, it's uh, not opposite because yeah. there's a little dot of black in the white side. Yeah, you're right. You're right. White in the black side. Well, there you go. Then they're, they're literally that boy. I'm just being cliche as fuck today, Anna. Uh, but I, no, 
I agree. Without Larry David being like, no, you know what? We're going to go there. Uh, then, then Seinfeld, for, for the record, I think Seinfeld would still be one of the most successful, just straight up stand up comedians of all time. But I don't know that he has the success in the show. And I also don't think that Larry David ever gets no the chance. meeting. He, he doesn't ever get the meeting or he gets a meeting and then he walks out on it and then it's fucking over. Like Jerry was so appealing to, I mean, Jerry Seinfeld was almost the host of the fucking tonight show. Yeah, he Jerry, was Jerry's, he's a lot like Leno. He's, he's a massive consumption type artist. Yeah, absolutely. And NBC wanted him so badly that they could, that they would tolerate a guy at the time. I'm like Larry David, who was just kind of an asshole and piece of shit to work with. But like, if you didn't have the Seinfeld, then Larry David never gets in that room. Larry David just quits, uh, quits SNL. And then that's the fucking last you hear of him. Maybe. And I say that you can't undermine either one of their brilliant, like Larry David's so brilliant that it's like at a certain point, uh, you know, Red Skelton said about Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson had Red Skelton on his show for the last time, and and Johnny said, you know, Red, you know, Red, I've gonna, I've gonna say, um, you really helped me out in my career. You really helped give me that boost. And Red Skelton was like, oh no, nah, hell, Johnny, it doesn't matter that I gave you an opportunity. Talent like that, if you put it behind a brick wall, it's gonna break through. And there's uh, part of me that you want to uh, say uh, uh, that's true about Larry David, but I don't know because he wasn't. He, he was. Didn't, he, he didn't play the game. He didn't play the game, and like back in those days, it's like if you don't play the game, you've got to be a really, really good performer or super good looking, and he was neither of those things. So like I don't know that – and thank God, for, by the way, I don't know that we ever get to see the brilliance of Larry David without Seinfeld uh, I'm not or vice sure versa. Jerry would have ever created anything that would have been uh, as groundbreaking or anywhere near as successful without that edge Larry David brought. And Larry David yeah. needed somebody with that. He needed a Jay Leno to get yeah. him in that room. He needed, and he needed someone also, I guess they're both easy to work with when they work with each other and they, sure. they listen to each other and they're friends. And, and it's just a really, and thank really, God for it. The greatest collaboration in comedy uh, history. ever, ever name one better. Um, Batman and Robin. Mm, they've had some stinkers. They, they have, I mean, Robin died like three times. Yep. Don't hit. Yeah. Uh, who's your Robin? Dick Grayson's my Robin. Is that your Robin too? Um, who, whoever voiced him on the animated series. Um, well, I mean, it, cause there were different Robins. You, oh, you, oh, you be Dick. Yeah. Dick. Oh, Dick Grayson. Yeah. Who Dick Grayson ends up becoming a Nightwing. Yes. Um, but yes, no, Dick Grayson to me is that's Robin. Because uh, he was the only one that I knew until I started realizing, like, oh, shit, there was other Robin. Yeah, no. Right. But to me, it's D- Dick Grayson uh, is 100% Robin, period. You heard it here, folks. You heard it here. And you also heard another great episode of, through the, uh, not Through the Screen Door, it's a Through the Screen Door podcast, and it's called J.J.'s yeah. Diner about Parks and Rec. And, of course, if you want to hear the long versions of Through the Screen Door, and sometimes we have longer versions of J.J.'s Diner, we're going to get this one up as soon as we can over at patreon.com slash screen door. And, of course, all y'all who are listening to us on all your platforms that you're subscribing to us, give us a five-star review. Another two great episodes, Corey, this episode. Who? What was the theme for you? Uh, keep an open mind. And, uh, and teamwork makes the dream work, Matt Coon. The theme of this is Anne is better than April. Okay. (laughs) All right. Who's your MVP? Well, Anne forever, but. God damn it. Dude, it's Tom. Tom fucking laid. Yep. I agree. I usually want to try to have a different MVP than you just for like, you know, back and forth sake. But I mean, it's, it's undeniable. It's Tom. How much would you attribute the Tom character to being, man, I was tough on Tom in the first season. You know, I just thought he was just 
terrible. And I thought the lines were terrible. I thought Aziz wasn't good. How much do you can, how much do you attribute it to Aziz getting more comfortable in this role and acting and also the writers figuring out what the fuck they're going to do with them? Which one do you think is more important? Um, I think probably Aziz and that, that ended up leading the writers into the right direction. I think probably what happened to, and again, this is all just, you know, spitting right out of my butthole. I don't fucking know, but like, to me, it would probably be he got more comfortable. He started ad-libbing some more and bringing some who he is as an actual person versus this character that he was trying to play, which for the record, I think that Nick Offerman is the same way. Like you, you all of a sudden you start get Ron later, all of a sudden he, he's, he's uh, woodworking more. And that's the thing that Nick Offerman really, really does. And I think that he just probably had mentioned that offhand. They're like, oh, shit. Again, uh, it, you can't write this stuff. I think Aziz probably started getting more confident, probably started doing more um, uh, more improv takes, and then it just informed the writers a little bit, and they started molding the character. So I'd probably say it was it was more him than it was the writers going, how do we make this guy better? It was him just being like, you know what? I'm just going to fucking be me. How about that? I, I think, I suspect, in acting, it's a lot like music, especially when you sing. You know, I'm not a great singer, but I've taught a lot of people how to sing, and I sing okay. But the best vocal performances, if you can somehow make the song about you. If you can yeah. somehow, Michael Jackson, when he sings Billie Jean, you believe it, even though there's no way in hell you can figure out he would be in that particular situation. Um, but you believe right. it because he's convincing. And I and why- Whitney act, Houston's son. Right, why act when real is better? You know, with Aziz exactly. Ansari, he, why act when the real character of this really compelling, smart, funny dude, if you amplify it up, Ron uh, or Offerman as well. Why act when you can just build upon something that's real? And that's why I think uh, Andy Dwyer has hit from day one. And it might be a situation where because he was in, he was supposed to be in a limited role, his, his fucking caveman brain kicked in and was like, oh, then I have to crush it so hard that like, if I've only got a job for six weeks, I need to crush it so hard on this that I can get another job after this. And then it ended up just being like, oh, you're just going to stay here because you rule. And I don't think he was acting much. Not that he's not like there is, even if you're playing yourself, acting is still difficult and a craft, but being yourself obviously easier and i think that's why andy was able to come out sprinting and also andy is very much uh chris pratt in that yeah if you, if you watch the show if you watch on youtube you can see all these outtakes and the outtakes are just ridiculous there are things andy would say but they're chris pratt you know like there are times where there's many times where takes are ruined because yeah. andy just farts he just farts yeah <laughs> Farts, that's farts so awesome great. aren't farts funny that's so awesome well Corey, that brings us to an end to another episode of jj's diner of course we gave you all the info before thanks for listening sorry we're late we'll try not to do it again but we might but we probably won't Corey, did you enjoy today's episode I did. I loved uh, doing it when the sun was still out. It was fantastic. I love both of these episodes, and I'm looking forward to the next episode, which is the hunting trip. Fantastic. Corey Ryan Forster. Speaking for Corey Ryan Forster, I'm Matt Coon. We'll see you next time on Through the Screen Door or JJ's Diner. Shkee.